just me. A place to be me, where you get to experience life. Life is a journey, not a guided tour. If you want the rainbow, you have to go through the rain. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Just Me. And we are excited as always. Today, we are going to be talking about surviving the holidays without you. That topic of grief. Yes, holidays are difficult, especially when you're grieving the loss of someone you love. Now, grief is not just about losing a person. Grief and loss can show up in different aspects. There's different types of losses. You can have a material loss like the loss of money. You can have relationship loss like experiencing divorce. You can have functional loss like the loss of an arm. You can have role loss like uh, when you retire in, a, in the army for all your life. Mm-hmm. Retire. So when we talk about grief and loss, it's not just about a person dying. So in, as you listen to this episode, remember you can apply to all areas, but we're going to really be focusing on the loss of a loved one. As we look into grief, we're going to talk about the different um, first stages of grief and what they look like. All right. So what I'm going to do, I am going to go through the five stages of grief and loss as we, as Ms. Tracy has said before, you know, there are five stages of grief and loss and the first stage is denial. So when it comes to denial, it's like this can't be happening. You may feel numb. You also may wonder how can I go on without that person? You may feel in shock. And really, in this phase, individuals refuse to accept the fact that a loss has occurred. The next stage is anger. And whenever anger shows up, we may express that it's unfair what has, ha- what has happened. We try to place blame. Underneath that anger, there's a lot of pain. And we may feel abandoned. You may find that you will, you're lashing out at others. You may also feel that you're alone in this age, which causes a whole lot of anger and frustration. This third stage is bargaining. And in the bargaining stage, the individual may try to change or delay the loss. Where For example, you would say, if I would have only called that person, or if I would have only trusted my instincts as it relates to um, going over to check on them, it's just like really going back and forth. And during this stage, you're trying to figure out what is it I could have done to stop this.
The next stage is depression. And with the depression, that's when you see the sadness. Crying. It's a sway of emotions that come on. May come on all at once. But during the stage, it's, it's, it's very difficult for people because sometimes when you're in the depression stage, you're pulling from things that may have happened in the past. And you may link it to the present situation where it can become overwhelming. And the last stage is acceptance. That's when you have moved through the process regarding your emotions. And you come to terms as it relates to what has happened. So once again, the five stages are denial. And denial, people express this can't be happening. Anger. Why is this happening to me? Everything was going well. Why all of a sudden now I have to deal with this? Then the bargaining. I would do anything to change this. If I would have only did A, B, C, and D. And E. And then the depression comes on. What's the point of going on? This is just too much for me to bear. And the last stage, acceptance. Once again, it's going to be okay. Now, Sasha is going to elaborate more as it relates to these stages and how at times people may feel that these stages are cookie cutters. They can go into A, B, C, D, and E. Thank you, Ms. Smith. Thank you. Um, a lot of times we want to force that experience of bereavement, grief, and loss into a time frame. And the whole basis of creating the stages between five to eight stages of grief and loss is because we as human beings want to put very cookie cutter ideas onto feelings, onto thoughts so that we can pass through our life easier. But when we talk about grief, we talk about loss and we talk about bereavement, it's extremely hard to say, all right, when will I be done with this? When will it be over? Because it is such a fluid process. So a lot of times people want to put timelines to grief and loss and going through these experiences, these different stages, but it's very hard to put a timeline on it when I work with clients who have experienced the passing of, of a loved one, they say it may be a year later and we're still talking about it. And that's okay because nine times out of 10, if that person has passed and it was, you had a relationship with them, your relationship has been over years and years and years. So to get over this person, this experience, this connection that you had with them in a year, how realistic is that? 
You have to ask yourself, how realistic is that? And so when we talk about these stages, yes, it is a way for us as human beings to compartmentalize and tie something up into a neat package and say that, okay, we're done with this. But in all actuality, the bereavement process can go on over a series of months, years, sometimes decades. So it depends on how we're processing these feelings, whether we're pushing them away or whether we're allowing ourselves to feel them, experience them, and not feel like we cannot limit our, not feel like we're limiting ourselves. Um, I think that one of the things that causes us to feel like we have to compartmentalize these different emotions, we have to hurry up and experience the denial, hurry up and experience the anger, hurry up and experience the bereavement, the depression, the acceptance, is because we are moving so fast in life that we need things to go at faster paces. We have so many things at the touch of a hand. We have the internet to look up information at the click of a button. We have food that we can order at the drop of a hat. We have so many things that we have instantaneously and immediately, but that same concept cannot be translated onto the bereavement process. It cannot be translated onto feeling emotions and going through that connection, that intimacy that we have with people. People require a lot more emotions, time, and thought process. We cannot create cookie-cutter feelings and experiences with bereavement change, loss, anything like that. Um, what do you guys think? I, I like how you um, just reiterated the fact that it's not um, linear. Like you don't go through 1A, denial, then jump to anger. You're going to go back and forth, front and back and on the round, upside down, um, every which way but loose. <laughs> Um, and just my own experience with death and two at different ages and depending on where you are mentally and sometimes even physically, how you handle it, uh, you can find yourself angry longer or in denial longer. <laughs> uh, one of the, one of the hardest part, um, I think is getting to the acceptance portion. Because most often, because we're talking about a person leaving, to say that I accept the fact that that person is no longer here, um, you might, a person can feel that they agree with the person being gone because that's my concept that if I say they are dead, that I'll never see them again or that they really gone from my life. Um, but you mentioned, um, something about like memories and trying to create things to be good and happy. So if I have a memory, technically I have that person or idea with, so I don't have to accept the fact that they're dead because accepting the fact that they're dead means that they're never coming back. I'm never going to see that. I'm, I'm detached from them totally. I don't want that total detachment. I want to seem like I'm attached some kind of way. And I think, um, the struggle comes with um, just the concept. If I accept, that means I'm really letting go, but I'm really not letting go. And I think that's the uh, people struggle with the grieving process because um, you don't want to let go. 
And that's where your understanding or your concept is that death means like it's the end. But it's not necessarily. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I know just to piggyback off of what you just said, Ms. Tracy, and I think that comes into us as human beings wanting to be in control. The re- the react the uh, the reality is that when someone has passed or someone who has been a part of our life, you're never going to forget them as long as you are within sound mind and you haven't had a traumatic brain injury or experience <clears throat> Alzheimer's, different things like that. And I would also argue that sometimes individuals, my grandmother who has Alzheimer's, there'd be some things that she remembers and other things that um, she doesn't. So to say that you're never going to remember this person is almost our anxiety creeping in is that fear that we're losing control. So a lot of times when we go through that bargaining process, it is, I didn't have control over this situation. This person left me, this person passed away, and I didn't get to decide when, why, where, how, shape, different things like that. Whether it's unexpected or whether it is expected. That element of, I wanted to be able to control that. And while we may not say it, and we may not think about it in that way, a lot of times we begin to bargain and say, Dag, if I would have only just maybe visited them a little more, if I would have only just studied with them a little more, if I'd only just called them one more time, this wouldn't have happened, or I would have been able to say my last goodbye. And that element of bargaining is us trying to generate a better sense of control of the situation so that we can manage our feelings better and not necessarily acknowledge or um, welcome in those feelings of sadness, tearfulness, um, anger, and frustration. So that element of control that we want so badly as human beings to have can be counterproductive in the grief and loss process because in all actuality, it's okay to experience those feelings. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel helpless um, or feel hurt. And a lot of times we push that away and want to hurry up through this process so that we can get on with our lives and so that we don't have to maybe stop in the middle of a grocery store and look at something that kind of reminds us of that person and feel sad. But if we do, that's okay. That is truly okay. And I think that one of the things that hits home for me is that I know my parents are aging and I want to spend as much time with them as possible because I don't want to have that. In my heart, I want to be able to control how much time I have with them right now because I don't want to have that element where I should have, could have, would have. But that is also that idea of I have to be in control. It's amazing how when we think of the grief process, and how we want to be in control and how he- how heavy how heavy that can you really can cause a lot of burden for you because you're trying to control something you have no control over so you're making your mind feel as if that you have control of something that you didn't have any control over and that could be a very difficult um, situation or thing to, to process. 
it can also begin to foster unhealthy coping skills. It can create that anxiety, worrying constantly like, oh my goodness, I have to hurry up and put everything in A, B, and C order so I prevent this thing from happening. Or, oh my goodness, I should have, could have, would have done something differently. Now I'm completely sad and kind of stuck in this emotion of sadness that can eventually transpire into depression. Or I'm going to drink a lot of alcohol so I don't feel that emotion. Or I'm going to use another drug so I don't feel that emotion right now. But why are we having so much shame around these negative feelings? Or excuse me, I hesitate to say negative, but why do we have all this shame around that that sadness, that disappointment? Why do we tell people, oh, it's going to be okay. Just, just, you're going to continue to move forward. Yeah, we're all going to continue to move forward. But why is it not okay to be in that place, those feelings, when we talk about grief and loss? I'm sorry, Miss Tracy. Oh, no, no, no. You, you're good. But I like when you said, like, it's okay not to be okay. And to be okay, like with it, um, people around you um, need to, I guess, can help when, when we understand that. And again, just depending on where you um, lose a person at in life, it impacts you a little bit. It's hard no matter what. Pain is going to be associated with it because um, that's with, with love is. And, you know, when you care for somebody and it's, it's okay to to be angry. It's okay to, um, to feel sad. It's okay to cry. You can't control it, but you can manage it. You can't control it, but you can manage it. Um, how I cry now over the loss of my mother 40 years ago is different from how I cried then. How I manage, how I manage my emotions when I think about, um, all the events that surrounded it, the things that got me angry, like a boiling anger, I might get upset now to, to think about it, but that boiling anger is not there anymore. How I process it over time, it helps. But initially, my time is my time. If it took me five years and it only took you five minutes, that's okay. But my five-year process, because how I look at things, how I process everything is going to be different. So be okay with me taking a little bit longer in my process. Like I have to be okay with you if it takes you longer because I can look at somebody and be like, well, when they was here, you ain't like them anyway. You wasn't around and you ain't never checked on them or nothing. And how a year later, you still saying you mourning the death of your sister or your brother. But when they were here, y'all was like, rah, 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 rah. You know, if I felt guilty because of the relationship, I could have, should have, would have, then I'm going to be in that state for a while until I can process to get me out of there or, or get help. <laughs> Talk about it. Talk about why am I still feeling this way over something I didn't do five years ago or two years ago. And now the person is gone and I don't have time to make up or tell them that I'm sorry. Or tell them, hey, you know what? Come on over. I didn't mean to ask you to come. And I, and I think, again, I could just say for me, some of the times when I was, um, depressed longer or angry longer, it was because of me going back to thinking my coulda, woulda, shouldas 
and I didn't do it. And it's the, it really ain't had nothing to do with them loss. It's something that I had an opportunity to do while I was here, while they was there, and I did. And again, I, I don't know if it goes back to how I got to control my grief and me wanting to be in control. And when, when you lose that control, if I can stay angry long enough, guess what? I'm controlling that. That gives me a sense of control. I make head control nothing else, but I can control that. If I'm in denial long, guess what? I'm controlling that. But it's not, it's not healthy. So when, when you talk about it, when you get out, and, um, again, um, just for, for professional-wise, if you can get out and, and talk to someone, if you find yourself, you know what? I've been angry long enough to go ahead and, and um, get it out. If it's not a friend, if it's not a family, go out and um, seek counsel just to see, well, why am I still stuck on this or why am I still trying to be in control of something that I can't control? And, you know, we and, you know, sometimes these family traditions can keep us from grieving the way we need to grieve. Um, because. We don't, sometimes we don't show our emotions. So we were taught not to show our emotions because it make us feel weak. Here's a, here's another holiday coming. Here's another celebration, a birthday coming or, or something, a wedding anniversary if I just lost my spouse. So still, how do I survive these holidays without you? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that going back to that, you have to talk about it. Because um, Miss Smith said a very good, a very good statement before. You said that if you don't talk about it, it comes up as it goes. Ms. Smith, what was your what was your statement that you said about grief? So, what I expressed to my patient that grief is like a ghost. If you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. Yes. So we have yes. to deal with it. We have to deal with those emotions. Um, those thoughts and you have to move through the process but the more you put a time stamp on the process the more difficult it is for you to move forward with it because your mindset is not in a way of processing it naturally as it needs to be processed and that's where that control comes in yes so the element of control and grief, it, there isn't a causation, but there are different correlations that happen between the two. Mm-hmm. And next time, what we're going to do is talk about, let's switch the narrative of what grief really is. Um, the five to eight stages of grief and loss was created by um, a particular individual and Thinking about um, the time frame and maybe the population that was examined um, when doing this research, it may have been a particular group of people. So when we talk about when the stages of grief was created and the time um, and how they was created, the stages of grief isn't anything biological. It is based off of observations that researchers, scientists. Um, psychologists have looked at people's behavior over time. And then they categorized it into the bargaining, the denial, the acceptance. 
based on a general consensus of what they observed. That's still science. That's still research. But there isn't a genetic marker to say, okay, that person is going through grief and um, that person is going through denial. So as a result, the people of the studies that they observed, I don't know. But based on the time that the stages were created, based on the researchers that may have been predominant in the field, Mm -hmm. I can only imagine that it may have been a certain group of people. So as a result, let's look at some of the other ways that different cultures, different groups of people really acknowledge the um, the the bereavement process, grief and loss, because it doesn't have to be a sad process. The feelings don't have to be negative. The feelings don't have to be adverse. There are several different opportunities to celebrate and embrace a person, especially during the holidays, when those feelings might come up just as heavy or even heavier. Any final thoughts, ladies? Well, this is this is a good a good um, topic. It's especially now. Again, we went from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We got New Year's coming. Just all these holidays just all packed up. And um, again, for some people, it might be their first time without that person. Um, this might be your second. For me, it's um, about forty five without my mom. And Christmas was big for us. So traditionally, now Christmas has always been big in my house. Um, I shut down for Thanksgiving, but guess what? I'm going to show up and show out for Christmas. <laughs> so, um, and, and soon, and, and as we get into our next week, when we're talking about the intimacy or the, or the, the joy and grief that are, um, is, is how you look at it. And I'll, and I'll be able to speak from a, a, a different perspective next because how I vision death personally is different than I did, um, 40 years ago. When, when my, when my mother passed, you know, so it's, it's different. It's different. Later for the control that that intimacy piece is there. And then I, I, I can see how you can still celebrate, um, death and cry at the same time. So I'm excited about um, next week <laughs> when, when we, when we get to still t- talk about, um, about grief, um, during the holidays, how it's going to show up, what it could look like, because it, it doesn't have to be said even without the person it, it's gonna hurt it's gonna look different it's gonna feel different um but we 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 get to adjust we get we, we're flexible and we'll be able to help help you help me help us bounce back from um season to season a celebration to celebration that as we go we grow and we uh we get to handle it different so are you saying that I can have my own individual style as it relates to dealing with my grief, just like the name of the podcast, just me? Oh, most definitely. Just me. Like not like, well, look, uh, I I lost some things. I didn't lose a person, but I've I've been handling my other losses with a smile. Cause okay. I had some losses, like some material losses this week. Okay. But the way I lost it last year, whoa, oh no. Ain't they showed up yet? That's a good thing. I'm not in denial. Okay. That's a good thing. I did do a little bargaining. (laughs) And that's a good point because then we may have taught someone that communicating your thoughts and feelings help decrease the anger. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right. I am very excited. 
Yes, y'all just dropping gems and knowledge all day. Okay. Well, I definitely hope that our listeners got something from this. Um, Our mission is to provide therapeutic insight to individuals. Um, So until next time, take care of yourself so we can take care of each other. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Just Me Podcast. If you are seeking further one-on-one consultations, worksheets, and action steps from the ladies at Just Me Podcast, please review the monthly subscription packages starting at $9.99 at www.patreon.com backslash Just Me Podcast and the number one. If you are seeking further one-on-one diagnoses, interventions, and treatment plans, please consider scheduling an appointment with an individual counselor at Journeys Counseling Center. Journeys can be reached at 336-294-1349. The mission of Just Me Podcast is to use authentic conversations to uplift one's mind, body, and soul. The goal of Just Me Podcast is to offer affordable education and insight to individuals who experience financial barriers to accessing individualized behavioral health support. With that being said, the information, including opinions, advice, and recommendations discussed in this podcast is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to substitute the recommendations of your own licensed therapist or healthcare provider. Although we are licensed behavioral health professionals, we are not your licensed behavioral health professional. As a result, the advice mentioned on this podcast should not replace the recommendations offered by your own qualified health professional.